Hello and welcome to the Gemcast. I'm your host, Alex Knight, and this is episode one. Today, I'm joined by two special guests, Aline Sims from the Less Than or Equal podcast and science fiction writer Kate Tempest Bradford. In our inaugural episode, we discuss the pilot episode of Gem and the Holograms, the upcoming live-action movie, the upcoming IDW comic book series, and the two controversial changes to Stormer as well as Kimber's sexual orientation. Stay tuned for an action-packed episode. So let's just start with Aline. Uh, why don't you tell the audience who you are and what do you do? I am, what do I do? I am a technical writer for a software company. I do um, like user guide and knowledge base articles. And then, as you said, I have a podcast called Less Than or Equal, where I uh, talk to people in marginalized spaces about the cool projects that they're doing and um, their experiences in tech and other geeky industries. Fantastic. Oh, I'm Kate Tempest Bradford. I am a science fiction and fantasy writer and uh, a media critic and commentator. I do not have a podcast, but um, I write about Gem quite a bit, actually, on the internet. And I just had a piece about Kimber and bisexuality go up on XOJ in the other week. That's fantastic. Yeah, I see, I see uh, a lot of people have been talking about that uh, lately. We'll, we'll put a link to the article in the show notes. We should definitely talk about that a little bit. Um, so basically, um, since this is the first episode, I just want to kick this off by um, talking about uh, the plans for the entire run of this series, because obviously the show only ran for three seasons. Um, so there's, uh, you know, the, the podcast is pretty much going to be a limited run, and we'd like to go through each and every episode and sort of discuss the the good and the bad um, because there there's a lot of bad but there there is good in the show as well <laughs> i mean it's a it's a it is a product of the 80s um there's a lot of product placement i mean the show was initially conceptualized to push a toy line so you know that's that's one aspect that we have to deal with but um so we've all watched uh the first episode recently um what <laughs> What are your thoughts? So, I mean, obviously, the first episode is really just kicking off sort of the, um, you know, setting up the, the characters, introducing us to them and uh, telling us a little bit about their background. Uh, it seems like a very dark show from the from the onset. And yeah. that this episode kind of sets <laughs> I feel like it sets the pace for the rest of the series. Um, because, it, like I said, it has its ups and downs. There are some episodes that are a little bit more cheerful. But there are others that deal with a lot of topics that I feel like um, were sensitive matters. Uh, there are other episodes that deal with uh, drug abuse, um, you know, abandonment. Um, there are love triangles in the show. I mean, this is a show that was uh, marketed towards little girls. Um, so mm -hmm. it, it seems surprising in some respects. And the show is definitely unique. I mean, there's there definitely is no other show. Um, that is like Jem, and I don't think anything has come anywhere close to this show since. Uh, maybe My Little Pony, because it is a musical show in that respect, but it's still pretty lighthearted. And this show dealt with a lot of pretty serious topics. Um, mm -hmm. So right from the onset, this episode starts with uh, Jerrica Benton, who uh, has a dual identity as Jem, the pop rock singer. And uh, we see her talking about her father so it's there the show starts with basically a funeral death, scene yeah <laughs> it's just like whoa okay yeah, and you know start right off with crying yeah 
you know, and I, I don't really remember, like, I remember watching this show. We would watch it, you know, my sister and I would watch this. I don't really remember a lot of the dark aspects of it. But it seems it, it's it is crazy. Like it's it's more appealing, I, I guess, as an adult for me now because I appreciate all the topics and things that they're they're trying to address in the show. I know in the eighties there were it was a common thing theme with a lot of cartoons where you would have the, these public service announcements, you know, tacked on to the end of a TV show because they had to be Joe. educational. Yeah, because. Mm-hmm. congressional <laughs> exactly. law or whatever yeah exactly <laughs> well, you know like don't yeah. cross the street don't talk to strangers you know that yeah, kind of thing to, but don't do it <laughs> don't talk to strangers exactly but the one thing that i noticed with gem is that uh i mean they did do that but i feel the one way that it it really stood out uh against all the other shows was that th- there w- it wasn't just like an afterthought like tacked on to the end it was weaved throughout the the show like it was an ongoing theme that we're going to talk about we're going to address substance abuse we're going to address um you know abandonment we're going to address love triangles we're going to address all these different topics so i think i think that's really really interesting yeah so here's oh go ahead oh sorry um i i love looking at gems sort of in the context of some of the other things that were on TV, like literally like right before it and right after it, because, you know, this is also the era of GI Joe and transformers. And in some ways it's, it's very much, you know, sort of in conversation with those shows because they wanted to show that would appeal to little girls and little boys because they felt like, G.I. Joe and Transformers were not bringing in enough of like the total audience that they could get, but they also didn't want boys to turn away when Jem came on. So I think this right. accounts for a lot of the cars almost going over cliffs mm. <laughs> and other right. ridiculous things that happened right before the commercial breaks. And right. I I do kind of remember and, and I've seen some episodes recently of the of G.I. Joe being kind of dark, but not in the same way as this. Um, yeah. And also, when G.I. Joe went to dark places, it, I, in my memory, it tended to do so in a fantasy sort of setting. But Jem was always, with the exception of Synergy, meant mm-hmm. to be more like very real world. Like they dealt with right. these topics in the real world as opposed to in a fantasy setting. Yeah, I mean, it definitely was more grounded in that sense, for sure. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it is really interesting. And uh <laughs> One of the things that um, I find uh, fantastic, and I wish more shows would do this, is the the level of diversity in the cast of characters. Um, mm-hmm. Like you have you have Jerrica, who is g- basically given this fortune. She's got a record company that her father left her, um, and she's got this the Starlight uh, Orphan House, which she now has to take care of. And, um, I mean, just the band alone, I mean, all the people that are in gym, we have people of different race and colors and mm-hmm. ethnicities. So that's, that's fantastic. And I'm kind of surprised we don't see more of that. I mean, I, I don't really follow a lot of modern day children's programming, but I mean, do you guys see that as a, as a problem today? Uh, you know, I don't have kids. And so, well, but there are things like I know, like Doc McStuffins is um, uh, a person of color. Um, and she's really popular with, you know, some of the little kids I know. Um, but I think 
I think that it's, there's still a lot of white people. You know, I, my goddaughter is, uh, is black and we're trying to like, here are some role models who look like you. And, and what do you have? Like Tiana from the princess and the frog and doc McStuffins. And, you know, that's, that's what we have. So right. it's, it's, it's still an issue, you know, 30, mm-hmm. Oh Lord, 30 years later. <laughs> Yeah, I I feel like on Cartoon Network, uh, some of the things I've seen as I've sort of whizzed by have uh, addressed this or had some really great, you know, characters who are people of color of many different races. But then what I find interesting is that all the black girls are voiced by Cree Smith. So basically, is it Cree? No, Cree Summer. Cree Summer. So, so essentially, all the role models are Cree Summer, which could be great because Cree Summer is a really great actress. But pretty much any time you see a little black girl in a cartoon today, that she's voiced by Cree Summer. It's the same pump, same person. Hmm. She, yeah, across many different <laughs> dimensions. What I right. I like about the the holograms and and the fact that they they are a diverse group is, um, you know, the way that that was again built into the whole concept of the toys. So, you know, like lots of little girls could find a toy that would, you know, allegedly represent them. And then when they decided to add an extra hologram later, they also like picked somebody from a different uh, racial group than they already had. So they added uh, a Latino lady, a Latina lady, which is really, very cool. But um, Hasbro would not let Christy Marks, the creator of the show, make one of the misfits a person of color, which I find to be I was great. going to ask about that because I, I didn't know if that was intentional or if there was some other issue going on. Well, I think that just in general, um, I don't remember exactly what Christy Marks said about this, but sh- this is like in one of the DVD commentaries, I think. But, you know, there's, there's just of... You want to have diversity, yes, but somehow that diversity cannot extend to the, quote, bad guys. It can only, the good guys are diverse. And I can kind of see their point in saying, well, we don't want to show, like, a black person being mean and evil because we don't want, like, little black girls to think that they're, they have to be mean and evil, and etc. But at some mm. point, you do have to be like, but, you know, everybody can be mean sometimes, and you know, there, there has to be a diversity of all kinds of characters in the good guys and the bad guys. Right. But then again, how, how often is the person of color cast as the villain? You know, that, that happens quite a bit. So I kind of have mixed feelings about it actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It seems, it does seem like a, like a slippery slope because the, you know, people are, you know, at the studios, they're, I can kind of see from their perspective, maybe they feel like they, they have to kind of walk on eggshells because, well, yeah, but if, you know, if we make, if we make the quote unquote, you know, evil or antagonist, you know, uh, a person of color, then are they going to fall into that trope as like the token, you know, black person that's, that's evil, right? That's mm-hmm. problematic too. Um, but, uh, the, I guess the show itself, I, I'm obviously, I, for me, at least, I I know I can forgive certain aspects of the show because I mean it's a thirty year old cartoon, right? right? But I feel like um, this is actually such a good time right now because we have uh, a revival of the 
of the property itself with Hasbro making this live action movie coming out later this year, which I'm excited, but also slightly nervous about. Um, but, and then we've got, you know, a possibility of a revival of the toy line. And I've heard talks that they're also thinking about rebooting the cartoon show, which I think they'd be foolish not to do that. Uh, especially, you know, coupled with the launch of the, the live action movie to introduce, it's a great opportunity to reintroduce it to a new generation of people, mm-hmm. uh, you know, make it appealing for, for young people, uh, and have enough of kind of a nod to the original series so that it's appealing for, you know, people that are now adults that grew up with the original show. And also IDW now has this new comic book series coming out, which uh, looks fantastic. I don't know if either of you have looked at it. I've seen some of the uh, art for it and it looks so amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, I think it's Ross Campbell uh, who did the wet moon series, which I've not read, but I'm familiar with his artwork and uh, it definitely looks like his art style for sure. And I actually really like one thing that Ross Campbell's really good at is um, he's good at drawing women and he doesn't draw women all in the same way. Mm-hmm. Like he, he likes having women of different proportions and different ethnicities. Like n- they're not all mm-hmm. these buxom, like, you know, stick figure, you know, thin women tall, with skinny, yeah. massive boobs that most, you know, men tend to draw, unfortunately. Um, so I, I like that. And he's, he's bringing that, that aspect of his own art style to gem which and i'm glad that idw is letting him do that yeah. uh, which yeah. i think is a really cool thing and i can only hope that if they do reboot the series that they take that opportunity to rethink how the characters look a little bit um, i hope so should... because the the art that i've seen is fabulous and mm-hmm. and yes all the different women have different body shapes and some of them are you know a little bit plus size and some of them are skinny and but but it's also not just like here's some girls with like big boobs and here's some girls big hips like it's a a whole range because he has um i don't think they've they're going to introduce raya in at the very beginning but i think jetta is going to be there because i've seen Mm -hmm. pictures of jetta but i haven't seen pictures of raya but uh, you know so he has basically you know eight women to work mm-hmm. with. And so they all look different and it's really cool. And I love how he's updated their looks so that you can still tell, you know, they still have the bones from the original series from the eighties, right, but right. they don't look dated. It's, it's so cool. And so I'm very much looking forward to the comic. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to the comic too. I'm, I'm scared for a movie and I'm scared for a series <laughs> reboot just because, so I, I, more than I loved Jem, I loved the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles when I was growing up. And mm-hmm. I mean, I think we all know what's happened with that. So I'm oh like, please, <laughs> please do not destroy this piece of my childhood that I still hold dear. I mean, honestly, um, so I haven't watched Gem since it was like in syndication when I was like four to six years old or however old I was. Um, so rewatching this, this is brand new for me. Um, sure. so I'm kind of, I'm, I'm scared, you know, I'm scared, but I'm even more scared about what people are going to do with that in, yeah. <laughs> in a movie or a reboot. Right. So if we yeah. can kind of, we'll, we'll come back, we'll come back to the, the show in, in a bit, but I want to talk a little bit more about the movie. Have you seen the, the released, uh, still of the, the group of, of Gem on stage? It looks I awesome. It looks so 80s. I was not expecting that. Like it looks really, um, glam rock. 
Yeah, like it yeah. looks yeah. Re- like they are just they're just going they're running with it. Like we're going to take some of like the like the wackiest, you know, the bright colors and neon colors and you know, jewel like really shiny outfits and and colored hair and I think that's really cool. But um I know there are some fans that are accept uh they're a little uh, uh, upset at the casting of Shayna because in the cartoon, we all know her as an African-American woman. And in the movie, they've cast someone who, uh, I think her ethnicity, she's half black, half Mexican. I could be wrong about that. But a lot of people are complaining that she's not dark enough. How do you feel about that? Oh, I feel a lot of different ways about that. <laughs> because, uh, so here's the thing. I am a light-skinned black person. Um, I'm not half black, but I have a lot of mix, you know, in in multiple parts of my ancestry. And so uh, in just in general, talking about the kinds of black women who get cast in things, yes, it's true. Most of the time, light-skinned black women are, are chosen, um, and especially light-skinned black women with features that read as white and therefore more attractive. And that is a thing in Hollywood right. and it's mm-hmm. so messed up. And and so I totally acknowledge how much of a problem that is. And, you know, so like that, her casting and the people's reaction to it is all part of this whole big system of, but you're always casting these light-skinned black women, even for, you know, roles where the original was darker or et cetera. But I also kind of feel like as a light-skinned Black woman who has mixed heritage, it annoys me to no end when people then say, oh, but she's light and therefore she's not Black enough and right. therefore it's just right. wrong. And I'm like, stop saying that. Or like, or, e- or even worse, saying that they're not Black, which is right. And and that's and, and the thing is, is that she, um, there's also like all this stuff about the erasure of uh, Afro-Latinos in talking about black experience because yes she is i I don't know what um the the heritage of her mother but i do know that her father is actually a very famous black actor so you know we're by by saying oh but she's not black enough you're kind of denying her blackness and Mm -hmm. and it's just like the the way that the conversation happened like great it's on me only Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. there are things that are that we have to address that right. are very true that have to do with the Hollywood system, right. but stop saying she's not black. You know? I, I totally agree with that. I think for me, I feel a bit ambivalent because I have, I have some background in that, you know, I've, I've done some acting training and I have to respect that. I have to separate my own feelings about this because I, I need to go into this movie with an open mind because for all I know, she's going to knock it out of the park and, she may very well portray that character extremely well. So even if, if she is really, she does that really well, there's, there's a part of me, I I can accept that. That's fine. But there's still the part of me that gets really annoyed with this. Like you were saying, this, this, this issue that we have in Hollywood that is not casting people of color, which is really, really frustrating because Mm -hmm. it's not like you can say, well, Oh, well, she was just, you know, she's the only, she was the only good person for that role because that's, that's BS because we all know there are tons of people of color who could probably play this role. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, you could, pro you could probably, you know, list them off very easily. Um, so that, that's really frustrating to me. And that's a whole separate argument we could, we could talk about, but, uh, and I, I don't know if it's going to get better. I don't know what it will take. Um, I sincerely hope it does get better though. I agree. Um, so going back to, um, this series a little bit, I wanted to talk, uh, so right off from the get go, one thing that they, um, they set up for us is this dual identity of Jerrica and Jem and her relationship to, or <laughs> both of their relationships to Rio Pacheco, mm -hmm. uh, which is really messed up as you get, you kind of get taken along this ride. Um, and I, I won't spoil it, but there are some episodes in both season two and season three that get really complicated. Like, and I would say that they're very adult themes. There are some serious love triangles where like Jem is bouncing around between multiple guys and she does this like revenge thing where Rio, well, I mean, admittedly, Rio is a dick on many episodes <laughs> because he's like, he's dating, he thinks he's, he's dating essentially two people and mm -hmm. doesn't realize that they're, it's the same woman, which is really funny which because Jerrica and Jem don't look that different. Right? And they, you know, they wear the same oh earrings, the same earrings, guys. Come <laughs> yeah, on. Yeah. Well, it's the whole yeah. Lois Lane Superman. Uh, thing. Yeah. It's really, it is really silly in that way, but, um, I'm not a psychiatrist and I really wish we had someone that was a, like a therapist come on to talk a little bit about Jerrica Benton's psychology because I've like, there are some episodes later on in season two and three where she is like, she cannot let it go. Like the, everyone, even like all the holograms constantly push her every few episodes. Like, why aren't you telling Rio? He deserves to know. No, he just won't understand. Oh, like, geez. It, <laughs> Um, well, he and, did pick a plant at one point, so he's not the, <laughs> he's not the most no. mature guy. <laughs> no, he, I, he isn't. <laughs> I, I also well, have a lot of feelings about this, but, but just in case other people have feelings about the Rio Gem Jerrica thing. Oh, I no just, yeah, <laughs> well, and because like I'm going, coming at this, like I'm watching it as we go. And so it's like these things in the future. I'm like, yeah, I, I vaguely remember like some weird stuff happening. Um, but I don't really have like an adult opinion on any of it because, you know, <laughs> it was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's all rather silly, but it's, it's like, you know, um, you know, when you get caught lie or not when you get caught, but you, what starts as a little white lie and then you just lie a little bit more and then you lie a little bit more and then you do it for so long where you've, you've fooled yourself, you know, yeah. and to, and, you know, and then it just, you don't it know gets where the worse. truth starts and yeah. The lie and it's snowball yeah. and it snowballs and it snowballs. Um, you know, and it, it just gets worse for her in the series as it goes along. And I just, I keep, wanting to pull my hair I'm like screaming at the tv <laughs> if you just told him at the beginning you wouldn't be having this problem this like, is true <laughs> and there's no real good explanation as to why she doesn't tell him there's really not uh, right. it, it it comes up a couple of times and really it's just it right. just never makes sense but the other thing that i think also sort of gets left out of the conversation sometimes is the whole thing where Rio is dating both Jem and Jerrica, but that's not Rio's fault. It's Jerrica's no. fault. Right. Because 
when Jem first shows up, Rio's just like, yeah, okay, Jem, mm-hmm. and y'all have formed a band? Great. I'm going to be your road manager. I'm going to drive you places. And he's totally cool with that. And yeah. then Jem is like, but Rio, don't you think I'm pretty? He's like, excuse me? Sure. And it's because for some <laughs> reason, Jerrica cannot just be like Jem yeah. and not be all up on Rio. Like, that's really what it right. is. is well, I she think can't she's just exist in the world without having no. Rio with her arm, with his exactly. arm around her. Well, she strikes me as a very, like from the get go, she's a very insecure person, mm-hmm. but the insecurity, like as we, as we, we'll see as, as we go through the series, but she gets more and more insecure on certain episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's that snowball effect, like I said, where it's, it gets worse and worse um, for her. But, and I feel like, and maybe I'm overanalyzing this a little bit, but I feel like, like, I'd like to think, like, even though, you know, it's, he, Rio's making a choice to date two people and he runs the, even though he doesn't know it's the same person, he runs the risk of breaking somebody's heart. But, like, I feel like he's more, maybe he was more susceptible to kind of getting close to Jim because, like subconsciously, maybe he knows it's really Jerrica because they look so similar and they're always around each other. Mm-hmm. So, like, I feel like there's that aspect as well. Well, there's mm-hmm. also that, you know, we're attracted to similar personality types and similar right. types of people. So, you know, it's it's not even, you know, like I look at my friends and I'm like, oh, these two people are eerily similar, you know, and I mm-hmm. really like them both a lot. But wow. You know, what kind of people am I? And I've done this evaluation a few times in my life. Like, what kind of people am I inviting into my space? And, right. you know, is this is this OK? So I think there's probably some of that going on, too. Just like sure. the, you know, whether subconsciously he knows that they're the same person or not. You know, it's just, hey, these are the things I like. And they both possess yeah. these traits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, I think well, that's I, a common out, a common trait that all of us have, right? Like we tend to, yeah. you know, a lot of people tend to hang out in the same kind of cliques. We we like to, you know, we attract people that kind of align with our own beliefs, right? Mm-hmm. I agree. And and one of the things I love about this, and, and this is also something that I feel like as a kid I picked up on, but a lot of other people didn't, is that mm-hmm. essentially Rio is in a polyamorous triad with one person. (laughs) Like he thinks it's two people, but it's really only one person. Right. And because, and and what I find interesting is how some, how people have perceived this relationship over time. Like I actually have gotten in fights with people about whether or not Rio was cheating on Jerrica with Jen. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, even if we were to pretend that Jerrica and Jen were two different people, how could Rio be cheating on Jerrica Sure. When he's he's dating a woman that she employs in front of her face. (laughs) He's technically like technically he's not. But I think I I almost feel like Jerrica slash Jem almost feels like it is because she complains Mm -hmm. about this constantly. Well, she, but the you know, way that every she episode. complains about it is is very much the way that people who are in polyamorous relationships sure. that that don't have good communication right, complain about right. it. Because mm-hmm. again, like he can't be cheating on Jerrica because literally Jem is right yeah. there, and their right. relationship is not a secret, <laughs> and he takes her places in public. Like it's there's no yeah. secrets here. But right. but like the way that Jerrica gets sort of jealous of Jem, like 
I, I've seen this happen so many times with people who are in relationships where like nobody's really communicating and mm-hmm. everybody's just kind of working on assumptions and whatnot. And yeah. that happens a lot in this where like nobody really communicates and that's right. part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Communication, yeah. Definitely a theme that runs through this show. It's a serious <laughs> problem. Not just for Jim, but for the misfits, w- which we'll see later on. Um, <laughs> it, yeah, it's it's so really strange. But, I, you know, Jerrica, she makes it really clear that uh, at least in some of the later episodes that, you know, she's afraid that Rio is not so much in love with her, but is more in love with Jem because she's, I mean, even Jerrica says this in one episode. She says, Jem is more fun to be around, which mm-hmm. is really messed up. You're the same person. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, uh, <laughs> it's so weird, but it you know, bad. there's, there is the, I think there's something to be said about, um, you know, performance performers and celebrities have talked about this, where they go, they you know, if you, whether you're a musician or an actor, you go out on stage or in front of the camera camera to do something, and a lot of the nerves go away, and suddenly you get this this high, you have this mm-hmm. adrenaline from performing, and because, and especially with with musicians because you're doing a concert in front of people and you're getting a reaction from someone mm-hmm. and that feeds your your own energy and she's also wearing a costume so mm-hmm. that also helps her not feel like she's the same person that it's empowering i feel like it's empowering her to be somebody that she really wants to be but she doesn't feel like she's capable of being that person yeah i was mm-hmm. just going to say it's it's a persona right jem is is a, a, a mask, is a front. And um, I do this with podcasting. Like, I am not nearly as uh, outgoing in real life as I am on a podcast mm-hmm. um, because I kind of put on my, my podcast face and, and this is, this is what I'm doing now. And it, I think it all, like you said, it all ties into like that performance um, part of the brain, you know, and that adrenaline and that, um, that I get to be more fun than I am in real life, or I get to be, you know, bigger than I am in real life. And that mm-hmm. can really change personalities. Exactly. Definitely. So, um, <laughs> you know, one of my favorite things in this episode is, uh, the first, uh, entrance of the misfits <laughs> on those ridiculous, like it, this is so glam. So eighties. I love it. Uh-huh. Though. The, uh, the guitar motorbikes, <laughs> I mean, how awesome is that? They're driving these motorcycles into the building. <laughs> around the office. Around the I office. On the elevators? I, I, I don't know. Question. They look pretty big. They pr- look pretty big to fit on the elevator. But, yes. uh, yeah, that, that is just so awesome. You know, and actually, the, the misfits, um, you know, at first, uh, because we're just establishing that the, they are, these are the antagonists. They're, you know, they're competing for, uh, for the attention and they want the, the misfits want to be the number one band in the u.s right um so they all seem like at first on the surface very flat two-dimensional mm-hmm. characters but later on like as we get more backstory into these characters like we have um well at the beginning at least we just have three members in the misfits so we have um pizzazz roxy and stormer pizzazz who is a spoiled rich kid you only at first you only see her like you know she's got this mean streak and she's really she seems very evil but later on in the series you start to 
peel away the layers and start to understand why she's so messed up because her father um there there are scenes later on where she's trying to get her father's attention and he's got his head buried in a stack of papers and basically said you know gives gives her the credit card says yeah 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 you know just do whatever you want yeah mm-hmm. whatever that's fine honey just yeah buy whatever you want no problem you want to you you want to produce your own movie here's five million dollars just go away and let me get back <laughs> to my own business like he's just just the, the biggest asshole right? right just totally neglectful you can only like imagine what her childhood was like so i like i don't know i started to feel a little bit of pity for her that she's had this terrible like father that's just not being her there for her both you know physically and emotionally um and and then you have characters like for example uh Roxy who I sometimes get mixed up between Storm and Roxy I think Roxy's the the girl with the the bleach blonde hair yeah I think that's right yeah she's later on um she's more on the level of like she just she follows I'm pizzazz, and so does everybody in the group. But you find out later on that she is illiterate, and everybody in the fan make everyone in the band makes fun of her for being illiterate, which is really fascinating. There's this awesome backstory about how she comes from like a really poor family and stuff like that, uh, which mm-hmm. we'll get to. And uh, Stormer, uh, I always had a soft spot for Stormer because she seemed really like bashful and shy, and like she. You you could see like there was like a good side to her, and she didn't always agree with all of the things Pizzazz wanted to do to Gem mm-hmm. and the Holograms. But she she had no self confidence, and she just wanted to kind of she found this place where she belongs. So she kind of just follows Pizzazz and everybody else around. So that, I thought that's really interesting. So they are pretty unique all in their own way. You just don't really get to see that on the first episode. Mm-hmm. Well, so I, I, a lot of that is ahead. just. You know, because essentially the, these first the, the the first five episodes were all like one long thing when it first aired, and they mm-hmm. and nobody knew if they were going to get to do more stuff. And so, one of the things I really love about that first episode after the first five, where you know now they're like, okay, now we get to do a weekly show, is immediately they start giving the misfits. Uh, real personalities like you can tell right. a little bit in the in these first few episodes that stormer is meant to be the sweet one the soft-hearted one but you know pizzazz and roxy that like, don't really get anything beyond like mean girls until later on but you're right like they do get like really great backstories as time goes on right yeah and uh and then we have of course the <laughs> the quintessential uh evil bad guy eric raymond who somehow okay. got his grubby hands on the uh the record company that uh Jericho's father left her um i always thought this was a bit of a weak part on the aspect of the the writing but i always felt like y- you see Jerica struggling to get control of her own record company and i just feel like that's not really realistic like well, what, did... <laughs> a lot of things about what goes on at starlight music are not really realistic <laughs> oh well yeah of course i mean <laughs> it's, it's it is it's bonkers, but <laughs> but yes, but is, I, <laughs> it is a very I, interesting. Like, how did exactly what? How does some? Is there like a fifty fifty split? Are there no boards? Is there no board of directors? <laughs> well, well, they so, have. Yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say, how old is Jerrica? Do is I that think ever, she's supposed to be? I think the official age is like twenty three. I, okay. I looked yeah, it up recently. Early something 20s. like that. Yeah, Kimber is I think meant to be Eight. nineteen. 
Yeah, she's like 18 or 19, much younger. So I was wondering if it's like a maybe a, a trust issue, like a, a legal trust where, you know, you get, I don't know. I don't know if you can do this for businesses. My family does not have money. So like <laughs> completely foreign to me, but like, you know, like you get, I don't know, 33% controlling interest until you're 25 and then it goes up to 50 and then that could be, you could know, be. a situation like that. Maybe I, I don't know if that can happen, but it's also a cartoon. So why not? That's true. Well, they need a reason to, to have, you know, three years worth of show. Yeah, right. so that has yeah. to be. Well, yeah. there we go. <laughs> Eric Raymond is always—he's always trying to get that Starlight music yeah. back. But of course, in later episodes, it doesn't even make sense. It's like you have Misfits music. What do you need with Starlight music exactly? Yeah. Reason. Well, <laughs> gotta have it. You know, all. it's 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 interesting with Eric because there is a little bit of a backstory uh, into his character much much later on in the series. Um, and, and and he is he he's like through and through the series. He's he is this. You know, he always has been this very aggressive, um, you know, young guy that got into the business, um, you know, and moved his way up, but, you know, uh, just kind of um, stomping on people, you know, uh, just to get whatever he wants. But I just love, like, the way they drew his character. Like, he's always got, like, he, he like his eyebrows are, they look really... <laughs> really like evil mm-hmm. like in the st- sort of stereotypical way uh, like he always looks like really angry in every scene <laughs> which i thought was really funny uh but um or just menacing it's he, yeah he is kind of kind of menacing and you know it, it's it's the stuff that happens in this show in, ter- in terms of like the stuff that the misfits do to gem and the holograms to sabotage it ranges from stuff that I can kind of see them getting away with it. And then stuff like just like arson. And, you know, I think in the pilot episode, we see them, the, the, the rock and roadster going off a cliff, right? Or almost going almost. off a cliff, right? Well, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah so it's misfits, just like. <laughs> like the misfits steal all of their instruments and then they hurl right. them, the instruments at the back of the van at Jim and the holograms. And then they like almost careen off a cliff, but are saved just in time. Right. Yeah, I thought that was really yeah, it's it, crazy. It, like why aren't they I, pressing charges? Uh, exactly. That is one of the enduring mysteries of almost the entire whole show is why the misfits are not sent to jail on a mm-hmm. regular basis. Like <laughs> why are they not the imprisoned? First, right. At the at the end of this first five episodes, you know, Eric Raymond does get arrested. Like the police do show up. Yeah. yeah. But then yeah. he immediately becomes not arrested yeah well um, the only thing i can assume is that he he's a man of wealth so he probably has a good team of lawyers that that's, managed yeah, that's to what get he him said. out he's yeah. like oh i got i got some good lawyers but but what <laughs> i find interesting is that you know there a lot of things happen where people are just like well you know those misfits for instance when the starlight girls and the holograms go to howard sand's house and they say please can we live in this mansion because our mansion burned down the misfits get so angry that they shove howard sands in a pool and then roxy gets in a bulldozer and tries to <laughs> right. kill the children like she's really yeah it's does, really like, cr- kill people but yeah it's crazy <laughs> and you're like wait a minute that was that was some serious endangerment there like they kidnap at least 
like two or three Starlight Girls at different points. Well, in the you know, it was 1986. It was a simpler time. <laughs> Where nobody was arrested for kidnapping. Where no one was arrested for bulldozing people. Yeah, and, and it seems like what... There are a couple of times where the Misfits will do something and, and Jem or one of the holograms will say, no, 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 we're not calling anybody else in. We're going to solve this ourselves. So it seems like they were going for some sort of girl power mm-hmm. message that, you know, hey, those bullies might get you down, but you can stick up for yourself. But I'm like, yes, but you can also call the police. Right. <laughs> There's a time and a place. So and we're also introduced to another character, which uh, is an ongoing character, Zipper, who's the hired thug by Eric Raymond. Because, um, of course, he, you know, Eric Raymond doesn't want to get his own little hands dirty, so he has to hire another guy who um, I just love. I, I can't recall the name of the voice actor. He's, I think he's pretty famous. The guy that does the voice of Zipper, I love his voice. He just sounds so slimy, you know, mm-hmm. like just he can't be trusted. He's got those stupid, like, wraparound 80s goggles and, the, <laughs> you know, the military haircut. No problem, Mr. Raymond. You know, just <laughs> just That's every – he does it. Yeah, it's I, I I love it, but uh, some of the stuff that he does in the in these episodes, um, it's really it's really he gets himself into situations where it's this is like really risky, and it doesn't sound like he's getting paid all that much money. I mean, it was, I mean, I guess we have to factor in inflation. It was thirty years ago, but I don't know, a couple hundred thousand dollars to you know blow up somebody's house that seems that seems low, undervalued, right? Yeah. It's undervalued services. Maybe Zipper knows that he's not going to be in any danger because, once again, no cops were called to investigate where the spawn came from, (laughs) who said it. There's no arson investigation. Yeah. Yeah. This guy looks perfectly trustworthy. He's got wraparound (laughs) glasses. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that was. um, I think that. Did we leave anything out? I think that's pretty much the events of the first episode, right? Mm-hmm. The episode ends with their house catching fire. So, kind of a cliffhanger for the next episode. Um, there are a couple of notes I have here about Jem specifically. Well, Jerrica, I guess it's not yes. even the Jem persona. Yeah. But she's really judgmental. Like Jerrica? Yeah. Yes, I agree. She's and we so see more judgmental. of that. <laughs> That's and true. Then, and when the misfits first show up, she she calls them trash or something yep, like that. You're that's like, okay, that's why I made that note. Yeah. Just calm down. Yeah. And yeah, there are some later episodes where uh Kimber and Jerrica don't exactly see eye to eye and Jerrica treats her like a child. And Kimber gets really, really mad and she decides to this this is actually the I think this is the episode where uh, Kimber leaves the holograms and teams up with Stormer, which is fantastic. I love that those two characters that is together. A, a great um, but it happens. It, it happens a couple of yeah. times. Like it, they're actually Kimber yeah. does run off during one of these first five episodes, right. but then they they get her back <laughs> and, Jer- and Jer- immediately. <laughs> and and Jerrica like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I mean, she writes. Kimber writes all the songs. She's. <laughs> I mean, inter- what is Jerrica going to do? She doesn't play an instrument, no, right? So yeah, she just has long hair and sings. Um, that's valuable. That's, that's true. Having long hair is, you know, it's important for a 
a front <laughs> front lady. Um, and then the other thing I, I thought was really interesting was like the basic, the base level of competency of people. Like at the beginning, they're in the house trying to do home repair and Rio's up on the ladder yeah. and he's like doing electrical work and he's like, okay, I think it's Kimber. Like, okay, Kimber, flip that switch. And like they flip the switch and it's like everything blows up. And I'm like, so you don't know about a fuse box. So that's, that's <laughs> cool. And then, you know, Jerrica's under the sink trying to repair the pipes and like it, 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 you know, things go wrong. There's a series of, of unfortunate events. And then all of a sudden, like the kitchen is flooding or there are puddles in the kitchen. I'm like, but you got to turn, you yeah. got to turn the water off. So, so I'm already wondering about these people and like, I know they're young, but, um, but I'm wondering, like, I guess I'll ask you two since you know more about it at this point than I do. Like, is this foreshadowing for their basic level of competency throughout the show? <laughs> oh, <laughs> just, oh, yeah. So, uh, Rio does some pretty stupid well, stuff. Not yeah. only that, but just He's... just the the level of incompetency that that goes into running Starlight Music. That just. Well, I mean, she's, she's, she does struggle to, to pay the bills oftentimes. Like she does say like, you know, all this money we're making is going to, you know, paying to keep things right. running, keep the lights but, on essentially. But also there are a lot of kids in the there house. There are a lot of kids in the house, but there's also like, no, they don't really discuss, even though there's lots of really interesting stuff that comes up about the Starlight Girls and this, the foundation and whatnot, but there's no discussion of, well, you know, they, they are a foster home, so there should be money coming from a government somewhere. I, yeah, there's, the, yeah, I guess there's there, not enough. <laughs> there are a lot of right? holes, there are a lot of holes but just in, the, in the plot for in sure. In general, with running Starlight yeah. Music, they're really bad at it. They're, Starlight Music only has one act, Absolutely. and that is Gem and the Holograms. It's, they're yeah. an entire music company. It's kind of amazing. <laughs> It, it kind of it's kind of amazing how Starlight House has managed to stay together. Like I feel like it's just it's kind of just holding together by a thread yes. for the entire yes. series. Like they're all the time they're they're running out of money. Gem is constantly complaining about we need money, we need money. And she, meanwhile, she's got I don't know how many movie deals, like record contracts. She must be getting royalties. Like I find it hard to believe that she needs like she's constantly struggling to pay. Like it can't be. It's 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 expensive, but from the money that she would make from those deals, like she would be living comfortably. Right. Yes. But yeah. somehow, um, somehow, somehow, it's somehow that movie is really bad at managing things. Like there's a really hilarious moment I, when we get to, I think it's episode six or whatnot. Mm -hmm. And that's after, again, after the, the movie that is the first five episodes where once again, they're like, Oh, the starlight house needs money. Let's go to starlight music and get some of that money. And they get to the building and no one is there except for one employee. And they're like, thank God you're here because everybody left because nobody was getting paid because for months and months and yeah. months, they just thought that starlight music was going to run itself. And it didn't. That seems really unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty far fetched, but, uh, uh, <laughs> and it seems like, uh, um, as far as, uh, Rio's competency goes in the, uh, you know, electrical department. It seems like he took a lesson from, or he, um, he, t he, uh, did an apprenticeship with, uh, you know, Chevy Chase <laughs> yes. from yes. National Lampoon's, uh, Christmas vacation. Christmas yeah. vacation. Yeah. But, uh, you know, maybe I have a theory about where a lot of the money goes. I'm thinking, can you imagine the hydro bill to power synergy? Right. Like the electrical bill must be an ungodly sum of money. <laughs> 
And actually, let's talk about synergy for a little bit because there are a couple things I find really amusing about this. One, when they, when they move synergy from the drive-in to Starlight Mansion, um, we see that there is in the I think it's in the living room or somewhere in the house. There's a false wall that is just a hologram that leads into the secret room where synergy mm-hmm. is. I how how easy would it be for somebody to just lean <laughs> on that false wall and f- oh look or you know like kids are playing with right, like a ball indoors and it goes through the wall like come on that's not the best secret place to be hiding it <laughs> but uh and I, I i just love that synergy can be taken down by pulling the power cord out of the wall yes like you have this supercomputer and it's- it has a standard like three prong like cord that you just there what? were no y cables in the in the early 80s no y cables right. oh dear yeah. so bad well and and <laughs> i want to know where this hollow technology is today you know it's kind of like the hoverboards mm-hmm. from back to the future like i was promised right. things and i kind of feel like these childhood sure. these things from my childhood were a binding contract and i want to know why they don't exist yet you know yeah like i yeah. agree i'm like where's absolutely I was yeah. told that if I put on some earrings, I could make myself look <laughs> any kind of way I wanted. Exactly. That's not happening. Well, I mean, the the whole premise of the, the holographic earrings having micro, I think they describe them as micro projectors, yes. micro holographic yes. projectors. Okay. Sound, it's totally bonkers, but okay, I'll, I'll run with that. The one thing I find just flat out nuts is when she, when Jim projects holograms and they have sound how how do you do that like projecting an elephant and you have this elephant that's like making the noise and like it sounds realistic like where is that how would you project the audio i can believe maybe you have holographic projectors but i don't know how you could like in that kind of miniature fashion how you could get sound that's that realistic i think that part is a bit crazy that the material hand wavium is involved. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think probably right. <laughs> oh dear. Yes. Well, I mean, and and it's interesting how throughout various parts of this series, they try to have like restrictions and rules about how synergy works. Uh, in the very first mm-hmm. episode, we see synergies like holographic projector things like actually on the synergy machine bend for some ridiculous reason um but (laughs) but i believe that there was a point where when they were like putting together the series bible they were like okay these are things that synergy can do but these are things she can't do like she's not reading Mm -hmm. anybody's mind so people can't just be like okay synergy do that thing i'm thinking of like somebody had to tell synergy what to do and and certain (laughs) other things but the i i think the audio thing was not brought up yeah. Yeah. I I always found it curious from a design perspective. A synergy doesn't really look like a computer. Like I love how like a, a large majority of the parts that you see are like she's got like just keyboards, <laughs> like random keyboards attached to the computer. And like tubes from a it's pipe like just organ. Ex- yeah. Yeah, it's just like extra emphasis. Hey kids, just so you know that this is a show that involves music and singing the computer has keys on yeah it. well you're supposed to be able to like so play synergy she was like a one man <laughs> or a one woman band type of thing but then she was secret because mm-hmm. you know if she fell into the wrong hands 
bad things would happen. Yeah. The, the end of the world. Yes. Right. <laughs> oh, poor Simmons. Oh. oh man. I I I can't wait till we get to later episode because there there's there's one episode I really want to talk about because it, it's just it is so bad. Probably the worst episode in the series. I, and I can't recall the uh the episode dumper, but it involves uh it involves time travel. Oh my god, it's come really, on now. That episode is amazing. Do you remember this? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> there's gonna be a fight. It's the most flat out bonkers <laughs> episode with uh was it Tech Rat? Yes. Invents a time machine, like come on. <laughs> that was that was Jim and the Holograms at its most. Like we are skiffy, because <laughs> you know you get used to the hologram generating supercomputer in the basement, but mm. time travel—that is some on a whole other level. I love that. Episode. I know, I know. You're right. When I think about, like, you know, I rationalize to myself that that this person has earrings that can project realistic holograms but i, I time travel no way that's not possible that's not possible well i like how you're talking you're like it's totally fine that these earrings are projecting things like in all directions even in ways that they're not pointing but the same yeah. thing is really like, getting to me like uh, how far is the range on on those holographic projectors yeah. like they didn't really establish that it was just kind of all over the yeah. place and also i i really have yeah. to say that i'm i'm mad that rio was kissing and hugging on Jem for years and never noticed that her hair was a hologram. Like, dudes love touching <laughs> ladies' hair. They love it. Yeah. And, and they love touching long hair. Don't tell me that he never tried to touch that hair. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think I think maybe Rio, um, I'm just going to rationalize it this way and say that Rio was just, he was so lost in Jem's eyes. <laughs> just didn't notice anything else about her. Starstruck. Like That's what he is. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, oh man. Well, I think th we should put a button on it. <laughs> is there anything else uh, uh, we're leaving out? Anyone want to last minute things you guys want to throw in? I think nope. I think that's all the big stuff. Like I'm looking forward to seeing mm -hmm. further music video acid trips and see oh, if I can yeah the music videos are another whole nother figure thing. out yeah. how they relate they're pretty crazy but yeah no um yep this is fun i like this a lot yeah yeah this is great yeah absolutely it's uh it's fun reliving childhood memories and kind of you know at the same time appreciating but also laughing at how ridiculous it, it all is <laughs> but uh yeah, we'll we'll see. I'm really excited about this IDW comic uh, that's uh, coming out. I think it's supposed to be out sometime. They they said March some sometime, but I don't remember if they gave an exact date. Um, but uh, we'll put a link to the show notes. Uh, there is um, there is a preview of the first issue they released. Just I think it's just the first page or two of the of the comic. So I was pretty excited about that. Um, but we'll pull a, uh, put a link in the show notes to that. Um, so where can everybody find you two online? Um, and is there anything you want to plug? Now's the time. Well, I'm, uh, my personal Twitter account is Aline. That's A-L-E-E-N. And then, of course, I've got the show, which you can find uh, the podcast. And, of course, I've got the podcast, which you can find at less than or equal .com. Also on Twitter as at less than or equal. Um, 
and yeah, I'm, I'm pretty active. So on Twitter, so if people want to message me, feel free. I am also pretty active on Twitter. Um, My Twitter handle is tiny tempest. And uh, you can also find my stuff at my website, which is ktempestbradford.com. And everybody should go right now to XO Jane and search for the words Kimber and bisexual. And they should comment on my, on my post about Kimber and bisexual erasure because everyone should just do that. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much uh, to the both of you for coming on and uh, looking forward to many more episodes and discussions. Yay. Thank you. And we'll see you at episode two.